Hi, and welcome to this episode of In Talks With. I'm Danielle Rodeutchen. In recent years, the art world has converged at an ever-growing number of art fairs around the world, their size and number leading to complaints of disregard of environmental impact and general art fair fatigue. So how to avoid this? Is it possible to make attending an art fair into a creative experience? In this episode, my guest, the leading art advisor, Nasi Vaseg, addresses some of these questions. Nazi is a UK-based arts advisor who brings a wealth of experience to her craft. Previously, she was chief executive of Masterpiece London, where she took the fair to great critical and commercial success. And she's also worked at Sotheby's, where her roles included being managing director of the European Impressionist and Modern Division, founding director of Sotheby's Preferred, and senior global business director for contemporary art. Now, as founder of the boutique London Fair Eye of the Collector, which takes place this month in the storied building Two Temple Place in London, she sees her mission as putting the art centre stage, placing established artists alongside emerging and overlooked ones, and creating a voyage of discovery and experiential event for the culturally curious. Hi, Nassi. Hello. It's lovely to see you here in... Shoreditch on a cold May morning. We're here to talk about your fair Eye of the Collector. What's the concept behind it before we get going on talking about everything else? Let's get the ground laying. It's very nice to be here, Daniel. <laughs> um, the, the concept behind Eye of the Collector really has come about because of my um, years of experience in the art world. Um, I've seen um, the sort of the art market from an auction house perspective, an art advisor perspective and an art fair perspective. I've worked with a number of private individuals in managing their collections and developing it. And it really came about in 2019 when I felt that um, some of the people that I knew had what we called fair fatigue at the time. And I started thinking about the fact that um, really surely what we're doing is creative, art is creative, and it's an expression. And so why couldn't um, acquiring art, having an art collection, or indeed going to an art fair be creative? So I came about with this idea of disbanding with booths and branding and really putting the art centre stage. I think the, the core element of I the Collector is that we put art at centre stage and we place established artists alongside uh, emerging artists, alongside overlooked artists. The idea is that it's a voyage of discovery and an experiential event. Sounds amazing. I've actually never been, this is this year's iteration is the third. Yes. Yeah. So how will, how will this year's one differ, differ from previous Editions. Well, so we've had three editions. The first edition was very much about 20th century masters. So we had all of the great names, if you like, to really make a strong entrance into the marketplace. Last edition, our f- focus was on um, gender rebalancing and uh, nearly 50% of the artist makers were female. And in this edition, we continue that ethos. But in addition to that, we've been working with a lot of artists and galleries in creating new works for the fair. So this is quite unusual for a cross-collecting fair. And it's a really 
um, incredible element that all these galleries and artists are choosing us and May in London to create new works and to, to introduce them to the market. Is it for established collectors or can people who might not know much about collecting but want to dabble or just get to know the whole system of it come and buy something? And is it what's the experience like for people who may not want to buy anything but indeed just come and have a nice few hours in London. Sure. So um, it's for both established and uh, new or potential um, collectors, if you like. I think it's for the culturally curious. We take place in this incredible neo-Gothic mansion in central London. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. Two Temple Place. Two Temple yeah. Place, which used to be William Wardolph Astor's uh, private office and residence. And the very fabric of the building is made up of statues and figures from art, culture and literature that Astor himself um, admired. So the building itself is a work of art. We place the um, pieces... It's not normally open to the public, that building, is it? No, it, it's a rarely seen building. So it's another opportunity. It's an opportunity to see that space as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a special moment in time in a rarely seen gem of a building in central London. So it's really, really special. But in terms of people who don't already collect, we lay things out as if it's an imaginary collector's home. So it's very, very easy to be able to imagine how you might live with that work of art. Um, and I think that, that that is a very important thing for us because um, the, the artworks are exquisite, but it's about being accessible. And I think it's really important that when you put on shows that people feel like they can come and have a look around and um, hopefully ask questions, form relationships and, and who knows, maybe acquire. So do you have to register online? Like what's the, how do you, how do you get in? <laughs> you, you buy a ticket online. Okay. You can buy a ticket through iothercollector.com um, or you can buy a ticket through our Instagram feed. Um, the, but you have to buy your ticket in advance. Um, you can't just turn so up. anyone can buy a ticket. You don't anyone can buy a ticket. Um, and we offer concessions to students, etc. Mm. And what about people who can't get there physically because they're in a, you know, different part of the country or abroad? Is With, there an online experience? Yeah, there is. <laughs> so what we do is we replicate the sort of the feeling of our physical presentation online. So we have curated viewing rooms. And then in addition to that, all of the galleries uh, have their works on Artsy and they also have more works on Artsy than we can physically sort of fit in the space. And we also have a partnership with Christie's who do a, a, a very good dynamic viewing room for us and put it on their homepage during the major sales in New York. So it would get a truly global reach. Sounds really cool. Um, so, and what, that, what about the pieces that you've got there? Because I've read in the press release that I was sent that you've got this kind of, it's, it's, it's art and it's design and photography. And there's obviously some big name draws there. You know, you've got um, Bridget Riley, Patrick Heron, Frank Auerbach, and then designers like um, Jorge Zalstupin and um, photographers including Cartier Bresson and Lillian Bassman. How, what is the select, how do you, go about the selection process and how do you ensure that you've got a broad, diverse balance or the kind of balance that you're looking for? So um, really it comes from my art advisory. I mean, that's, a, that's, the, that's where the 
um, I suppose the intelligence comes from. But the idea is to present a, a cross-section of collecting categories that are both enticing, educational and um, highly sought after. So we, you've just mentioned some of the names coming and we, this year, um, the mix is very much uh, 20th century masters um, and 20th century overlooked uh, artists who we consider as being masters like Sissy Keen. Um, and uh, we have got... Um, who was, who, I don't know. Sissy Keen uh, was born to a German family. Um, she came from a, um, a middle-class family who didn't consider becoming an artist as the right path for their daughter. Um, she had a riding accident, which meant that she could actually devote her time to painting. And she actually um, worked in Leger Studio uh, under Andre Lodge. So when you see her works, they have all these uh, cubist uh, and leger influences all, all throughout them. And uh, we introduced Sissy Keane through Whitford Fine Art last year, and she was highly sought after. And um, we have been able to find three more works, just for example. But so we, we're mixing. That sounds um, amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. It is amazing. And I, and I, I get very excited. Worth going just to see those. Yeah. For sure. What? Going full stop. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, so we, we really mix it up. And I think that design is also an important element. Um, and photography, um, in terms of a collection of photography, is a new thing for us. And we're very happy that Peter Fetterman Gallery from California are joining us this year. And, and they're the ones bringing Lillian Bassman and Henri, Henri Contier etc. And um, we also uh, this year have got nearly 60 works uh, commissioned specially for us. So it's a big mix of modern design and contemporary art at the fair this year. And you just mentioned there that, you know, the curation is very much down to your experience and expertise. And this is very much your baby in a way. If, I hate that expression, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. And Tell me a bit about how, what about your experience in the art world made you want to start this? Because I know, for example, you were behind the Masterpiece Art Fair, you were the chief executive there, and which was this, which is a, it's not continuing this year, but a really successful art fair in London of um, Masterpieces. And then you were at Sotheby's prior to that. So you've got tons of really amazing experience that you bring to bear to this. But what was your dream with stuff? Why did you want to start this? <laughs> um, I wanted to start this because I felt that um, London is is like an important creative hub, that the art world should be creative. Um, you mentioned Sotheby's. At Sotheby's, I launched something called Sotheby's Preferred. And the aim of that really was to encourage cross-collecting. And by that, I mean to open people's eyes up to looking at categories that perhaps they may not have considered. Um, and uh, Masterpiece, uh, you know, would really push the envelope out on cross-collecting. And that's really what I do in my art advisory business of art. It's very much about building a collection for people that's not so much about value in terms of expenditure, but more about the richness of what um, different artworks and different um, periods can really bring to the home and um, to someone's life. What makes a good art advisor, do you think? What are the qualities you need? 
<laughs> you need to have them. You, you need to be um, inquisitive, curious, tenacious, at times tough. You need to be, you need to listen to people and you need to have a really good network around you. And you need to constantly be happy to learn and not to know everything. And what do you say to people who are looking to buy something? And there's just so much, such an overwhelming amount of choice and places to go. What with being able to see stuff online or in person? What are some of the bits of advice you give? I think, I think, you know, just look, look and ask questions and try and develop sort of what you like. I think what you like is really important. Um, you know, art is... The, the contemporary art world is, has changed enormously over the last 10 years or so. And in many ways, it's, it's, you know, certain artists are now investment artists. But it is an investment of passion. And I think that you need to love what you buy. Um, and I think that asking questions, talking to experts, um, talking to a reputable art advisor is a good idea depending on what you're trying to get into. When you say it's changed, do you mean down to on, primarily because of the internet and how that's sort of opened it up to more people or has it just changed the nature of... Yeah, it's, it's changed. It has changed through the internet and online for sure. Um, but it's also changed in terms of a desirability, collect, you know, collectability, um, that whole um, element of hot young artists um, that are limited in supply but there's a lot of demand for them and it, it's, it's become a quite, uh, quite a business. Mm. How important do you think London is as an art centre and has that changed at all in your time working in it? I think London is really important as a cultural art centre. I think London has a long history, you know, of being a centre for the arts. I think that um, we have issues for sure at the moment because of the pandemic and because of Brexit and the red tape around that. However, I think that the, there's, a, there's this rich cultural identity and um, uh, there's a depth to collecting in this country. And we still have a lot of international people who live here um, despite Brexit. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're very active. And are you seeing, are we coming out of tailwinds now, the pandemic and Brexit is an ongoing issue but we seem to be in a different place now to for example even like two years ago um what what's your take on the outlook <laughs> um I'd love to say the future's bright but I think we've all learned to be practical um we've all learned to evolve and I think that uh for sure it's been tough for all of us working in you know in our industry, um, I would say COVID brought people together. Um, there was a great sense of collaboration. And I, the collector, is very much about collaboration in that the galleries trust us um, to work with them to select the artworks. And I think if, if anything, you know, that whole period has really exemplified that. I think Brexit is a different issue. I think that is a huge commercial issue for all of us. Um, and we have to find ways of um, improving things. Mm. Well, do you think there's going to be an improvement with the recent, um, with Rishi Sunak's recent achievements with the Northern Ireland Protocol? And is that going to affect your business at all, or is that not really that, that doesn't not come into consideration? No, no, that doesn't really go far enough. I think what we need is um, 
free movement of goods, which has been eroded effectively. Has it affected your business personally? I think it's yeah. affected all of us, yes. Just but, in the sense that stuff, because it's so much more expensive to ship things? or It's more expensive to ship. Um, there's red tape and the, um, the lack of freedom of movement just within Europe and the UK causes headaches. So it's, it's another added element to doing business, mm. um, which every gallery, every art fair um, is having to face um, at the moment. So tricky, isn't it? How about, have tastes changed in the last years? Well, changing tastes, how does, does that, is, is there a direct correlation between what goes on that you know, as an expert that you notice, is there a direct correlation between what goes on in the culture and people's tastes and art? I think, I think what's changed is that people are collecting earlier. I think that people are more interested by collecting. And I think that what um, platforms such as Iva Collector do is um, there's a big um, value band, if you like. So you can start collecting without spending too much money or you can, um, you know, buy um, sort of modern masters um, at a higher price point. And I think that's really, really important. I also think that, you know, years ago, um, people perhaps inherited um, artworks from their parents or their parents may have maybe bought them um, a dining t- table set, you know, more traditional forms of collecting. I think that's stopped now, more or less. So I think people are now going into um online and buying things and perhaps starting with prints or drawings um, and, and it's really developing what they like. So it's not so much taste, I think it's access and actually um, the information being available. It's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I suppose that's, that's, that sounds like you're, it's a good thing that there's a lot more people who have access to all kinds of art and it's not such a closed world as it was. No, I think it is a really good thing. Um, as long as, you know, people are buying from reputable places and doing their research or asking for help. Mm. Um, I think it's a really, really good thing. I, I don't think, you know, collecting at whatever level you're at should be limited to, you know, the top 2%. Um, and I don't think it should just be about sort of, you know, affluent, extremely affluent people buying things. I think it it's about passion and it's about being curious. And I think you should, um, you know, I'm... You know, people often collect stamps when they're little. You know, why shouldn't that develop into something else? Yeah, yeah. Have you seen, um, with all the stuff that's been happening over the past, you know, 10 years, um, people call it culture wars, um, have you seen a change in people's tastes or the kind of art that's being, that's available? Is there a greater diversity? Um, Are there a are there more, is there a wider range of artists being represented? example i think there's absolutely greater diversity um there are more galleries contemporary art galleries popping up all the time but i think what's really been interesting the last sort of five six years or so is that artists are working differently they have greater autonomy um their role has certainly evolved many of them represent themselves many of them work with different galleries you know they're using different platforms different mediums Mm. and they're really they have this as long as, you know, they're, they're able to cope with it, um, as in the commercial elements of what you have to do to be successful, they are creating all these new pathways um, to be an artist and to 
live and work as an artist. That's interesting. Yes, like, do you, like, can you give an example of an yeah, artist who I mean, um, illustrate that? Sure. Um, there's one um, artist that's coming to Iowa Collector, Philip Colbert. Philip is considered as godson of Andy Warhol. You know, he his artworks are portrayed through his alter ego, the lobster, who makes commentary on our digital culture, but with it against the backdrop of our is he history. American? No, he's British. And and you know, Philip is a classic case of um, an artist that works with galleries, also works with him, you know, on his own, and is uh, very successful. Philip, I should also say, has also very kindly donated um, some li- limited edition uh, of his lobster pieces. They, they're only made in an edition of 100. And he's very, very kindly donated that for Woman Life Freedom, um, which we are going to offer at either collector and 100% of the proceeds will go to the charity. Oh, wow. There's a lot of depth to what he does, but he's a perfect example yeah. of an artist sort of breaking the mould of your sort of traditional gallery system. Yeah, that's really interesting. I expect that kind of thing will be happening more and more as time goes on. So what do you think about, um, what are you hoping is going to, people who go to either the collector, um, are you hoping that they come up, are you hoping people go there and take lots of photos and share it? Or how are you hoping that people are going to interact with the, the fair when they're there? Um, what I'd love is for people to come in and first of all, really enjoy it. That's important to us um, and to learn and to talk to all the experts that are going to be in the room, which are our galleries and, and us and to form relationships. And, mm. you know, that, that that's the key for us. Um, it's fantastic to get, you know, Instagram coverage, etc. cetera. Um, and I think uh, our placement and what we do does generate that. But what would be really amazing is for people to leave the building and to feel kind of culturally fulfilled and feel like they've seen something unexpected or, you know, had a great conversation with someone. Mm. Culturally fulfilled is the ideal way to feel, isn't it? Culturally fulfilled is is maybe a little bit of a big statement for, for what we're doing. But I do think that, you know, art and culture go hand in hand and it doesn't matter whether you're commercial or public. I think, you know, you have access to come and look at these things and um, it's right in central London and really easy to get to. So why not? Yeah. And if anyone can do it, um, you can. Um, Are you thinking, and then once it's over, are you thinking, do you already planning next year's edition or are you hoping to take it to elsewhere in the world? What are your grand plans? So we... We couldn't happen because of the pandemic. We were supposed to launch in 2020, so we went online. So really, we had our first um, physical um, outing in September 21. We always said that we would see if we got to number three and then um, explore. So um, I think I need to get number three out of the way in two weeks and then um, take take, take stock. Have a holiday, have a holiday, and then um, start um, strategizing about what to do next. And, you know, London is definitely being part of our development and inception, um, but we're not exclusive to London. So who knows? Mm, Amazing. Well, I can't wait to visit. Sounds really exciting. Thank you so much.
course. Awesome. Thank you. It's been really good to talk to you. You've been listening to In Talks With with me, Danielle Rodoichen. The sound and theme music is by Woolly Productions and the artwork is by Patrick Wall. If you enjoyed this episode, please pass it on to someone who you think might also like it. Please subscribe and leave a review. To pitch for guest ideas, you can DM me via my socials at Danielle Rodoichen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>